I've had a request for all five, but we don't all know them, so the first and the last verses of the rap tag. Hello and welcome to That Option No Longer Exists, the podcast that is going to employ Boris Johnson to clean our house because he's the only person that we can be absolutely sure has had the virus and been tested. My name is John Bounds. I'm on the embattled left of the Labour Party with me, my old comrade, Adam Juniper, who, I mean... Did you I... have to emphasise the word old that much? And comrade, neither of which you like, but he—I was going to say—you were on the, you know, the far extreme right of the Labour Party. But the uh, stuff that's been going on recently, maybe you're not actually. Maybe you're more moderate than I really thought. Well, I told you, uh, and I've always said I like—I uh, like winning. I'm on the side that wants to win a general election, and uh, if you're being unpleasant about the party in a way that's going to cause us not to win from the right, that I'm going to be just as upset as you uh, as if I'm concerned that you look like a crazy old hippie and you're going to lose from the left. Everybody looks like a crazy old hippie at the moment, apart from, and I'm wondering if uh, Sakia has actually had some um, hooky haircuts over lockdown do, because um, it's still looking all right, you know. Do any of his family members have any haircutting skills? Because, yes, he does look quite tidy, doesn't he? So some restrictions have been reduced, but one restriction that's still going on is the um, lack of MPs sitting in the House of uh, Commons. It's quite eerie to watch the disembodied heads on video screens, Um, particularly the only time anybody tunes in anymore is Prime Minister's questions. And it's changed a lot. I mean, it didn't even have a prime minister in. For I mean, the first yeah, I know. I'm not watching it because there's nobody I like in it anymore. But the, the, the sort of, <laughs> the whole um, bit where essentially newspaper columnists used to judge prime ministers' questions on which side shouted loudest, and now they can't do that. Um, it's uh, it's really changed it. Yeah, now they have to. Now they have to listen to the. Content I've, I've of actually their words, heard so. a um, uh, an idea for restarting football in empty stadiums with all the players under quarantine, but to give it some atmosphere, charging fans one pound for a phone app where they could boo or hooray by buttons, and it would be played over the tannoy in the stadium to uh, to the players. <laughs> That's. I mean, in a way, I kind of like it, but it's really depressing if it's down to two single buttons. There are a lot more subtleties well, they, they to could a just, good football crowd. And they could just essentially make it like a, a Zoom call where everybody's forgotten to mute. Um, and just, but... Yeah. And what's the, what's the, what's the latency going to be like on an... Ooh! Or well, that'd be very um, interesting. But I was thinking maybe they should do that at Prime Minister's Questions. You know, you've got a, a sort of rhubarb button, uh, you're a disgrace button. Um, a uh, you're a horrible pipsqueak of a man gove button uh, although but Tom Watson's not there to <laughs> say that anymore well pretty much everyone could use that one can't they I mean he's not, not a popular but, um, lad so is he did you, uh, did you see any of it today how do you think it's going to the sort of centrist media were apoplectic with desire for the forensic ability of Keir Starmer today yeah, well, I I watched the first one and the the second one, sort of the highlights packages, if you like, um, partly because I miss highlights from sport. So highlights seems to be the right way to watch it. And partly because it's, you know, without the atmosphere, you're right, you can't get through it all. But uh, Keir seems to be doing OK. Now he's against Boris. I wasn't so sure straight away um, because when you're against some sort of weird robot, it's not the same, isn't it? But with Boris, I mean... He's a gift in that situation, isn't it? It's like um, Trump in a press conference. He doesn't know what to do, says a lie, looks worried. And, I think it's um, his inability to um, hold on to his lies under pressure. I mean, he, when he's not challenged, he, he can do that. But under pressure, he does tend to stumble over his bollocks a little bit. And um, that's <laughs> it's an, it's interesting. I genuinely... Well, I mean, he has to he has to go through the entire ceremony without um, sorry ceremony the entire question time without fathering another child. So, um, yeah, maybe. But it's this, a um, uh, who's under the um, uh, the mace? But who, is anybody grabbing the mace? But there's uh, 
<laughs> but I think it's interesting that the same newspaper columnists who were had huge hard-ons for Keir today, um, Jeremy Corbyn was not... He wasn't a performer in quite the same way, but he got really quite good at Prime Minister's questions towards the end. He... He hammered May regularly, and he totally held his own um, against even a sort of buoyant Boris Johnson, from my point of view. But that was not the reports that ever got there. And today, the um... I saw I saw some mixed ones. I, I mean, I saw some very bad ones with Corbyn as well. Um, when he seems to refer to notes, and for quite a long time, he, he overused his thing of talking about Dave from. Smethic he did. Oh, he did whatever. that for a few months um, right at the start, and it was a good idea. But he, he, he didn't last too long. It was, but he it, it longer than it should have. Done. You know, like uh, you know, something that seemed like a good idea, but I don't know. It was it was palpable how it was overused early on as a device, and it's a shame because it would have been something that would have been quite nice to drop in and out more. You know, over time, if you hadn't waste spent it all early on, it would have been a nice thing that to yeah, occasionally remind um, people. Yeah, that people that, were that people were people, which is a difficult one for the for the Tories. Yeah. So Keir seems to have done the same uh, trick. I thought the letter was a very good touch today. So Boris did a lie um, in order, you know, in order to get out of having been told that he's killed lots of people he probably shouldn't have done. He just lied because that's what you do in these situations, isn't it? It's what Donald Trump does. It's what uh, you know. It's what you do. But it's what May, it's what May did. Evidence. It's what Cameron did. It's what yeah. Brown and Blair did. Uh, but yes, carry on. But no. But so having Starmer having a sort of lawyery approach, he just wrote straight and you know told people about it and uh, wrote to the. Number ten, saying that Boris well, should come back a, to the house the and apologise. This was the interesting things I saw. And everybody it, uh, getting big stonking erections for this, and just thought this is the sort of loyally loyally game that was played over Brexit over, by the Labour Party for um, a good year or so, and resulted in basically Labour being seen as part of the establishment, which was tantamount to, it was one of the big things in costing us the election, n- n- casting us as, um, you know, parliamentarians. I, I draw your attention to that as a hypothesis but it, no, it's one of them. It's fact. one of them. I, think, I, I, I have a feeling that Labour need to look a little bit more like they could run a country. I think that, and that, I mean, that's the problem here. It's, it's a little untested, isn't it? There's an argument that looking a bit loyally, lawyery, sorry, um, makes you a convincing alternative government, which Labour didn't look like. Or you could say Labour were a convincing alternative government and therefore people didn't want to vote for them well, because I th- they looked like I, a government. I think what we, ha- we, what we do know is that those sort of tricks were played and the definition of insanity is expecting different results, as they, as they say. But when people were getting really help about how good it was, I just thought... This this is the thing. So uh, yesterday or the day before, uh, Dominic Raab was uh, tricked or painted into a corner on the Today programme by uh, Michelle Hussein, who um, got him to essentially to admit that uh, it was working class people got it worse out of the easing of lockdown. It was more risky for them. And people went, oh, it's a gotcha. They've got him. They've got him. But... It was quite easy to see, based on the evidence of our own eyes from the last however many years, 10 years at least, that there would be no consequences for Rob or for the government from that. And it was quite easy to see that there were, from that letter, cleverer and loyally though it was, if you, if you, it's like you're appealing to law, you're appealing to a judge that has to abide by a set of rules. There are as we've seen in the last few years, no rules that can't be broken in Parliament. So what did we expect that to do? So when that letter went in, we would have thought nothing. Who would have thought that Boris Johnson was in any way going to be damaged by it? And you saw his letter in response, didn't you? I didn't actually think it was going to be damaging to Johnson directly. What I thought was 
you know, this is that's a long and tiresome process, requires a bit of iteration. Um, sorry, you know, it is an iterative process, but it's also a defensive process and it's a rallying call for those of us who still feel that there is some sort of actual truth. Because Boris is obviously basically through the same level of incompetence and inability as Trump, but trying to take advantage of the same political situation that you you know if you disagree if people on your side will rally to you you can always create that mystery and protect at least some people those people are wasted and worthless and all the rest of it but it helps to keep challenging it because there are still people in the middle who change their mind uh, the other the speaking of the people in the middle who change their mind one of the things that was quite impressive recently was Keir Starmer got the front page of the Telegraph. Well, that, I, I find that worrying more than anything else because that says that the Telegraph find him non-threatening. I'm not sure that's the worst thing. I think the tele, I think if the Telegraph feel they need to employ him, you know, former Telegraph writers do end up as prime ministers, um, if they feel they need to employ him to, to write a section, and that's how they decided to go with him and the message he's trying to reach to is i mean because essentially the message was we want to go and do what do again what happened just after victory in europe and the tone was respectful to that generation of people who read the telegraph then it's not the worst thing if some of them have their doubts i i i this is um, incredible. This is one of the more worrying things that's happened because, to me, there was nothing in that piece, really. It wouldn't have been said in quite the same way, but there was nothing in that piece that anybody in the Labour Party could really disagree with because it was so wishy-washy. It was sort of a... It wasn't socialist so much as morally good, um and moral yes. good moral good is but that's a, that's the good I, thing I, at this point i don't know because it's um it just means if it means you're uh, pandering that much that it's quite it's quite hard for the um for the it right take it this another way does this mean that um Keir Starmer is taking the left of the Labour Party, the socialists in the Labour Party, when you talk about the membership, that's 50% at least. Um, is he taking them for granted in the same way that Tony Blair and Gordon Brown took for granted the, lab the left-wing Labour voters, i.e. there's nowhere else to go? Because uh, things like that, just the act of writing in the Telegraph, just the act of publishing articles behind the Times paywall, which he has done, um, just makes you think this guy is not for us. I mean, that's a, that is the worry, isn't it? Um, with all this situation, or these days, I think, on, on a purely let's win the election point of view, that is quite a rational approach. But are you going to lose people to, you know, are the the, the number of Bernie Sanders supporters who are now not going to vote or will vote for some third party I candidate? Uh, in order to assist I, Trump, I think in that's quite small term. because in the American situation. But no, it's not. It's, but it's not. It's not but in the American situation, none. there are. Van, you know, it's quite obvious there are no options in the UK system. We have a, I don't know, a sort of agreed nonsense, a pretense that voting for any other party is a worthwhile thing to do at a general election. So, and which it might be in certain areas of the country, but in general, it's not. So. Um, a resurgent Lib Dems, and I say resurgent in the loosest possible sense, there there are ways in which the Lib Dems have outflanked Labour in the last few weeks from the left, um, and that will draw a few people, which is interesting, but it stops the Lib Dems drawing votes from the Tories, which we really need them to do. And a Green Party, which seems more socialist, and again, I think that's unlikely under its current leadership, uh, but there's a long way to go to the next election and Caroline Lucas could be back. 
is that those parties could draw the more moral uh, bit of Labour's base to them. Moral versus moderate. Well, no, no. I, well, actually, I'm, t- I'm not talking about moderate or, or far left. I'm just thinking that um, if you are... If it comes down to it, you have a, a an aversion to essentially holding your nose as you go into a, um, a a booth or vote online as we might have to if the virus hangs around or whatever we have to do. If you have an aversion to the holding your nose bit, which as Labour Party members were all, um, you know, well versed in over the last over the last thirty or forty years. Um, some people won't do that. There's a great danger that we lose just enough of those in just the the wrong places uh, to make some of the big university towns and stuff really difficult to win. Um, you know, we're not going to you're not going to win Stroud back, for example. We're not we're not going to win those places that um, we're not going to win. You know, Cambridge or, or whatever. That's because you've it's really difficult, and this is Labour Party's job. At the moment, at least, if he wants to win a general election, he's got to hold both sides of that the voting coalition together. But if you can't hold the if you yeah. can't hold the party and coalition it, together, or we're not interested in doing so, but you you also need that part of the voting coalition that was not interested in the party last time. I think one of the things that's slightly encouraging about the Telegraph thing and that uh, the alternative statement is the attempt to appeal to that sort of pro-British, pro-NHS attitude. Um, that You know, because a huge number of people voted for Brexit and generally for Britishness because they um, think that that's the way to preserve the I'm NHS. I'm fascinated by this. But I'll let, you, I'll let you finish. It, I, can't, I, don't, I don't... I mean, I find it hard to cope with that myself. But... People voted against Jeremy Corbyn because they thought that was being good well, for the NHS. Well, this is really interesting. I think we've all seen the sort of outpouring of, uh, outpouring of very, in some way, performative love for the NHS over the last eight or so weeks. And as I've been walking around um, our local area, um, seeing the rainbows and the, the flags and things that people have put out and the chalk marks on the, the pavement... And stuff, and then I look, and the secret policeman taking notes of where the people well, are or aren't. Indeed, clapping. but in a way, uh, we all use data, and I must admit, I had a gander at um, uh, recent canvassing data and stuff, and just thought, I know those fuckers down there voted Tory, you know, and they're out there clapping, and they've got the thing. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, I, I know, I know. I know a lot of people who've been doing. But I, I, I mean, I genuinely know because we knocked and, on the door uh, and we know their voting intention, so we 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 know. But the, um, but not only that, I'm. This has led me to to thinking that Labour has been making a mistake since the the sort of end uh, days of um, of of Blair. There was a thing in Private Eye a few weeks ago, and it it was around about the election time and it it was basically laughing at Labour essentially using a similar approach in every subsequent election and they are, oh no, we've got to save the NHS. There are, and I think Ed Miliband used it, there are 10 days left to save the NHS or 10 days before the um, 2015 election. And we've been using it a lot and it is obviously true, but it doesn't. It doesn't do enough. And what I've been thinking is that the NHS is not a wedge issue. It's not one that we should be hammering at, because a lot of the the, the stuff that we've seen recently has made it very clear to me, and the Tories' election campaign has made it very clear to me, and the Brexit campaign's made it very clear that although people love the NHS. It's seen as such an ingrained part of British society that suggesting that it would be destroyed or damaged or harmed does not compute in people's brains. They do not believe that a government of Britain would dismantle this fundamental part of our country any more than they believe a government of of Britain would 
I don't know, uh, deliberately lose a war or deliberately pursue a uh, policy of yeah. herd immunity that would kill 100,000 of the citizens. It's it, People cannot believe it. So when Labour say these people are going to destroy the NHS, which is true, which they are doing, which they have done, um, it just it doesn't go in. But yes. But of course, they're smart enough. They're smart enough to know but that, it, and they do it in a different even, way. It's not even as clever as that, because <laughs> as long as they say, "Oh no, we're not," as long as Matt Hancock wears an NHS badge, as long as Jeremy Hunt just says, "Oh, we're putting lots of money in," even the despite the evidence of their eyes, despite the NHS being the is it the largest single employer in Europe or perhaps the world, something like that, largest single uh, organization. So near everybody pretty much must know someone who works for the NHS and people who work for the NHS, by and large, understand how the Tories have been destroying it. But I'd be interested to know how many people who work for the NHS still I think vote that, Tory. Well, from anecdotal evidence, I'm quite close to a, a few people that work for the NHS and no one I know that works for the NHS votes Tory, but... People I know who work for the NHS tell me that their co- some of their colleagues do. Yeah, I mean it can't be you know given the volume of numbers involved, like you were saying, you know it can't and it can't be none. But I'd very much like to see well, they, them show they're working. Like, very much like I'm saying, they do not believe that anybody would do this on purpose. The thing, the thing is, the NHS is actually a wonderful capitalist institution. It creates the possibility. Of entrepreneurship in a way that doesn't well, it lets really people exist be alive, so they can run businesses. In, let them be alive to run businesses, but also means they don't. You know, you can start a business, you can start up, and you know, potentially something much better for the economy without having to be massively wealthy and have completely covered everything. So it creates that whole. Um, it, it, it makes the American dream far more possible here. And you can actually see that in the US and Canada where, you know, per head, more businesses start well, that's, because they have a better health. That's part of, interestingly, the um, one of the arguments for universal basic income, that it um, increases the idea, uh, increases the ability for people to start businesses, be entrepreneurial, because, you know, whatever, however bad it goes, they're not going to be on the streets. Now, I have lots of I have the, there's a very good strong socialist case against universal basic income, I think, but um, it's does uh, it is it because it stops people being workers with no worker no ethics? no not at all but um, universal basic services which the the NHS is a really good example of is the, the, a fundamentally good thing. Um, and that principle of universality, which was creeping into the 2019 manifesto with things like, you know, dental treatment, broadband, um, national care service, national education service, stuff like that, is fundamentally good because it, it does. It promotes all those things. It promotes, um, it promotes community activity. So if you if you know you don't have to work five days a week, you can work four. That extra day can be spent doing something good in your community or growing food rather than, you know, flying it in from Australia or whatever. Or, or watching a whole series I mean, on Netflix. Yeah, and there's a very good Russian series on Trotsky, by the way, um, if you're bored. The sort of increasing discomfort I'm having during the uh, the clap. If you, um, I mean, <laughs> it, it can cause discomfort, okay, I've heard. Big, big <laughs> so I've heard, yeah. Um because uh, you know the the length of time at which it is extended um, each time, as people only really get to the doorstep at two or three minutes past eight, and then they start staring at the other people. You know, you, you're drawn out by the clapping, unless you have a particularly good watch um, and the ability to use it. And then you have to carry on for well over the minute, uh, chatting with your neighbour on your doorstep about who else has come out and who else hasn't come out. And uh, Keir Starmer has been a massive victim Oh, that's of this, quite interesting. He? I thought the... Um, I saw the video, uh, like everybody else, who's vaguely interested in this sort of thing of... Um, but, so he, he'd been doing his clapping, and then he... Did he say to a cameraman, have you got enough? Was that... that... Have, you, have you got what you need? Cut. End of tape. 
Um, and then the Daily Mail made a thing out of it. Um, and then it turned out and the cameraman spread the rest of that tape, which was, um, have you got what you need? Because his daughter, you know, he wanted to let his daughter in. So he needed to get off the doorstep. Um, so he stopped clapping to step away to allow her into the house or something. Um, and so, yes, the, the Daily Mail made what uh, has been interpreted by some as the first sort of attempt to diminish him in a Corbyn-esque way. Uh, I, I saw that uh, Owen Jones managed to talk about it for 15 well, minutes. I saw that um, people like Kay Burley stepped in to defend him, um, which was interesting. Um, so they uh, stepped in to, they stepped in to defend him, and I think that's... That is interesting, which shows that Kistama is very attractive to a certain proportion of the media, who then claimed that there was no bias in the way that Jeremy Corbyn was treated, because what the the media, you know, the the media will, uh, you know, we've got to understand this, and the media do this, and blah 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 blah. Uh, but that was not that would have not been how she'd reacted if a similar thing had happened to Jeremy Corbyn, would it? Probably not, um, but. I don't. I thought I did think it was quite interesting because it was one of those things that, you know, a little bit of revealing the process. I can't help but thinking that if, uh, you know, releasing that in two stages, so quite a lot of people would have heard the the answer, as it were, the explanation, might have uh, might be very smart move, you know. I'm sure they didn't do it on purpose, but if I was a Labour communications team, I'd be feeling very pleased with the outcome. I, I think that's interesting. I think the um, the the few polls, not La- not Labour's position in the polls, because that looks awful. Um, I thought we were going to be twenty points ahead, but the um, the La- but the... no, you not you're not while it's happening. You can't you can't get any sort of bounce from this politically but the, until it's um, all over. Keir personal ratings look good when until when you re- apart from when you realise just how many have been taken out of the personal ratings because they don't know who he is. Um, and I think that's that's fascinating. It's about forty four percent don't knows uh, in whether and there's yeah. a, that's a real mountain to climb. He has he's picked a really really poor time pandemic wise to become the leader of a party. There's not going to be a lot of airtime, is there, for someone who's constructively agreeing no. with the other people? Well, I think that's a smart move, actually. I, I, I'm, I'm sure you differ. Um, but I think the problem is that by default, you know, during a war, and for a lot of people it's a bit like a war, people do have a tendency to support their government however incompetent and irrational their government is being. And ours is definitely the second most incompetent and irrational in the world. Um, possibly. Yeah, on some, on some metrics, yeah. And irrational. <laughs> um, which is something we can all be very proud of, obviously. It's not... It's, no, it's a terrible situation, but there are some signs that the approach is rational. And I think this this sort of ties in quite nicely to uh, what the teachers are sort of you know the the, the union discussion uh, and moving forward. Which well, so, yeah, talk be... me talk me through that because from my point of view, Labour have been poor uh, in lots of ways about demanding things, and the TUC, who I've had a lot of uh, criticisms of over the years, um, have done a very good coordinating role and allowed the unions to be very uh, powerful and forthright and get a huge amount of concessions that were really needed uh, from the government. What, what are you thinking? No, I think that actually is, is, has been quite good. I've been quite surprised by how willing to go along with that the government's been. It's almost quite old-fashioned, well, I think, I think there's it? a to a certain extent, and you... Uh, I have to consider that the Tory party is is not only malicious but also quite incompetent, and yeah, and, so, and when quite they, so when they when they <laughs> bring out these ideas, they've brought them out, and they they are doing the their right their general thing is to do the absolute least they can get away with, um, and then the huge 
gaps in that are pointed out. And if the gaps are pointed out in the right way to the right people and create the right noise in the media, the public pressure, where, for example, the furlough scheme, you know, there's nothing for the self-employed, and then there the was, you know? It took them a while to announce that. Bec- well, I don't know. Speaking as one of those people who falls in the gap even after the gaps were sorted out, I, I'm pretty well, un- no, well, about yeah, all but of that. that, that I think that's the... That's one of the things is that there hasn't been enough pressure uh, because the pressure from Labour has been missing um, to sort those gaps out. And if you, but I think the unions have done um, they've done really well. Um, and I'm in a weird position at, um, at my work because we were about to go through a redundancy process anyway. Um, so there's been a a lot where. Essentially, for for a fair few people, the furloughing has um, saved their income for, yeah, uh, and it wouldn't all have been due to the the pandemic, and it will probably be worse due to the pandemic in the end, but um, at least they are not thrown onto the, the streets or onto the mercy of universal credit at this time. So it's, um, it's really, it's, that's good, and but that's the the thing I, I worry about it, and I thought the response from particularly the National Education Union, but the joint statement today that the TUC released from all the the big education unions, I thought was perfect. So the one I've been interested about, because in general I think you're right, is sort of encouraging, you know, messaging and, and engagement. Um, but there's also been a lot of quite clear. We teachers are not going to go back unless well, they've, they've, what, they've got a five, list of things they require, including yeah. what everybody has these days, include, including track yeah. and trace. Yeah, um, but at the same time, some of the more tinfoil hat wearing people of my acquaintance are quite clear that the track and trace thing is something I shouldn't go near. So uh, at some point, I'm going to be forced to choose between my privacy and being able well, to send if, my child to school. Only, well, only if the track and trace is done in a way which doesn't protect privacy, which is why lots of people are really worried about the the app, because there's no reason that that data has to go into government servers and be accessed by whoever. Um, it doesn't need to work like that. Um, there are, there are, yeah, there are better ways um to 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 run it it doesn't have to be a compromise the way it's set up at the moment would make that a compromise i fear um but if you are i mean as a, a sort of basic rule of thumb i always trust the union on the conditions and the safety and the the things that are happening at their workplace because they are the people on the the sharp end with the RMT, for example, when they talk about the the can the um the guards on the train, they're the ones on the sharp end. They know about it. I don't know any. I don't know more than they do, and I certainly don't know more about te- more than teachers, head teachers, and teaching assistants and other school staff about safety in schools. I really don't, and I'm. They're not just concerned about their safety. It's it seems perfectly rational to me. I don't know. My I say my slight concern is, and I, I honestly don't know what the the rash, the response is. I mean, teachers are of course famous for choosing the job because it has really long holidays. I mean, some also because they care about children that kind of thing. But there is an argument that being furloughed is, especially on a sort of standard teaching income. Fantastic, isn't it? If you're receiving your income, but that's not really happening for teachers because teachers are all still um, going in in an even in a fairly risky. They might not be going in full time, but they're going in a very risky situation, and also attempting to prepare lessons and stuff for children who are trying to learn remotely, and in lots of instances, doing much more risky things, checking on vulnerable children, worrying about their meal allocations. You know, I don't see that this is a holiday for teachers. Um, lots of people are on. Lots of people are on furlough. The more middle class people are on furlough, um, yeah. Uh, if they haven't got any caring responsibilities, they're putting their feet up. But I don't see that happening to teachers. All right. I, I mean, I, I'll take that. That's what I want, that's what we wanted to hear. Basically, I still don't want to be bullied by the TUC into downloading an evil app 
I don't. I mean, I don't believe in, indirectly. I don't believe that's what obviously, um, but they certainly don't seem to have any. They, they've certainly not said anything about the privacy of the app. Well, you can do track and trace without the app. The app is a shortcut. You can do track and trace by. Um, uh, and, you can do and, it by can paper. You see the government taking a long cut. No. I cannot no, and that's one of the that's been one of the big problems of the whole pandemic response is that every opportunity as there's been a choice between picking something that was difficult but right and easy but wrong, they've picked easy but wrong every time, and that's just what they always will do so it's it's scary and it's worrying, but it's a it's a fundamental thing that we, we we need uh unions more than ever and i know as a, a freelancer ad that it's really um you know difficult for you in the sense that yeah it um, turns out i timed it wrong your safe your safety at i work, should have either you, told my former employers also, to piss off you know a year before so i'd or six seven months i think something like that what you know would have made the difference then i would have had the right tax to prove my point or I should have stayed into the world of uh, evil corporate employment and, and got furloughed or working from home or something like that uh, for that little bit longer. But I actually know other people who have actually made the transition. Um, or, you know, they'd planned to. Um, and they've gone ahead mm. and made it anyway during this uh, time period. So I have very Stay little to whinge about. Brave, you know, uh... I've got to spend a lot of time with Leo. Um, possibly too much. And <laughs> we should see the size of the Brio layout I'm looking at in the room uh, I'm recording in. There are days when I literally pray for nurseries to open again. But um, there's no way the lad's going back until Eaton's been open for <laughs> a month. We've got to look at the possibility that although the working class are dying, it's the upper class that are the real super spreaders and the, the vectors of disease. Because... It was not Cheltenham. It was not the Stereophonics concert in Cardiff that is the main um, event that has caused the most deaths in this coronavirus outbreak. The main outdoor mass gathering that has caused um, the most deaths is definitely last year's Spectator Garden Party. <laughs> um, because what what happens is that is the that's a that's a a lovely metaphor for how um, the government and the press and the, the the other sort of upper class knobs are all in it together in this way that they claim that we are. Um, but they really are all in it together. Um, it's essentially the, the only uh, soggy biscuit game that's covered by the paparazzi. That's why when Robert, Pe Robert Peston is performatively fucking stupid, it's why when the... Telegraph uh, published a leak of the vile austerity plans of uh, the government to to claw the money back from this from the not from the people who've um, not from the people who have the money but from the people who don't have the money pay freezes for the NHS taxes on the fucking increases on VAT as a regressive tax that's this is what we've got to be absolutely on our guard for because otherwise the the doyens of the spectator garden party those people with grass stains on their white trousers or they've sunk their high heels into the polo lawn and got a bit squiffy on whatever fucking bollinger has been delivered to number 10 um, i don't know it's, it's gonna be domestic champagne from now on of course up brexit etc well, well also because bollocks. we've done enough damage but to the, the climate that you actually grow better champagne grapes in southern England and the used, it, that is genuinely <laughs> true than in northern France now. But the but the, these are the people that are about to, to to so if we if we take the conservative estimate not I mean that it's estimated by the conservative party but I mean the actual numbers are likely to be much higher if we take the conservative estimate of deaths caused by austerity at 130,000 do you know, um, if you didn't, you know, I, I knew you were going to get onto this, but I was planning to remind you if you didn't. Because um, the deaths by austerity thing has always been a bit of a difficult connection to make, I think, in the mind of the voter. Um, but the deaths this time are going to be quite an easy connection to make, aren't they? Deaths by government policy. 
But this is but the problem is that the hundred and thirty thousand deaths are more. So if they implement another ten years of austerity and when you consider that the 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 bailout uh, is going to be bigger than the bailout needed for the banks. If they institute the, the same amount of austerity for the same time, the death toll from them clawing back the money needlessly will be higher than the death toll from the fucking pandemic. Well, that, I, I agree that seems very likely. But what you're doing there is... is what I, I think what you need to think about from a hope point of view is that the death toll that most people associate with government austerity... And sorry, but most people, you know, outside... Labour Party, especially the left, or you know, is zero because they just don't make they they don't think that connection's fair. Um, whereas you know, obviously looked at in a large, broad policy sense, it clearly is. Um, but this this is this is going to be a lot harder to get away from because this does look fair because the government itself, as as Keir Starmer so wonderfully pointed out, um, has been waving those you know national comparative statistics when it thought it made britain look okay at least up in its powerpoint presentations every day and then suddenly now boris doesn't want to make that connection does he like i said i I hope they do because i think the consequences normally for the government being fucking poor and fucking disastrous over the last um however many years have been non-existent so the you watch, um, it's like whoever, I, uh, so whoever the next Conservative Prime Minister is currently watching Boris Johnson get away with this shit. And Boris Johnson sat and watched May get away with Windrush and sat and watched David Cameron get away with austerity. So they, the next Conservative Prime Minister is absolutely sitting there thinking, fuck me, what can I get away with? Um, because there's no indication that the media is going to change. There's no indication that the structure of society is going to change. Then the structure of the Labour Party, bringing it back to our topic of conversation, looks like it's not going to change in a way that's useful. Interestingly, though, of course, when you say next Tory leader is sit there looking at stuff, they're sat there also thinking, well, there's no point ever worrying about Labour being in government. The most important, as as all Tories traditionally do, um, you know, think proper house of cards the thing the thing that matters is the idea of replacing the current prime minister and they're probably looking at where boris looks weak and he does look a bit off off his game doesn't he (laughs) well that's the the interesting i think that's an interesting thing because when we think is it this week it was the day uh in which we should have had the election uh, when we should have um, had the uh, the chance to vote for chaos with Ed Miliband again, it would have been the the you know we've had any number of elections since, but it should have been Cameron's uh, third oh, election. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, earlier. Yeah, so last Thursday. So um, the idea there's a you know a week is a long time in politics. Well, a fucking afternoon's a long time at the moment, but. Five years seems an eternity. So the idea to me that the next general election will be fought between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer seems ludicrous. Well, they certainly both have a bit of time, don't they? I mean, the Labour Party tends to be quite generous to their leaders about letting them have a crack at it. Um, even if they've you know, shown they aren't necessarily up to the job. But... Well, one of the reasons the probably genuinely not, is that an, ele- an election costs about £100,000. Yeah, the Tories are not, are they? They're pretty brutal if they think they're going to lose. Oh, that's what I mean. So, the, yeah, I, it, I, I don't think... I, I, if, if you could get on... Uh, even though the gambling companies have stopped all their adverts, apparently, uh, uh, that's not what I've noticed on the telly... Um, but even if they had, I don't find, don't think I can get a fiver on the election being between two completely different people. Um, but if, but if I could, I'd put one on because I don't think either of them will make it. But I, I think there's a vanishingly small chance of Boris Johnson making it. It's not looking. It is genuinely not looking good for him at the moment um, because he just, he doesn't seem to have a way out of it. His, his losing his magic for 
not everyone necessarily, you know, whatever it is that Boris he, man thing is, but definitely for some. And if he's also getting, you know, even if he doesn't get one day where the Telegraph doesn't say he's amazing on the front, um, if, you know, the idea of the glorious generation of, of old people are starting to doubt him, then, yeah, that's that's got to be a worry. Well, that whole thing about that, I mean... This I say is, a worry. I mean, so not the, a worry for me. <laughs> well, the whole sort of... I mean, the whole greatest generation thing is, like, we had another week in which VE Day was um, celebrated, and the the number... And then this is... This is... It's a sad thing. But the number of people who genuinely fought in the Second World War is getting smaller and smaller. The number of people who thought of thinking their head that they felt in the Second World War seems to be getting fucking bigger all yeah, the time. Yeah, the Brexit generation. Um, the people who read fucking Victor comics and Warlord and uh, Little Commando picture libraries and watched uh, the Market Garden Operations a day, uh, Bridge Too Far or, or whatever on the telly and think that somehow they fought Hitler and uh, they're going to have a conga to celebrate is... Bizarre. So the, the 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 that was one thing in which I thought um, Kirsten was right because if those people those people that are still alive, lots of them are now the most vulnerable in society because they're old and they're in care homes. And I think the um, idea that we don't um, so the NHS isn't a wedge issue, but I think care homes might be. And uh, you know they tend to vote. Well, very few of the people in, currently in care homes are going to vote in next in four That's years' true. time. I, I don't. I really don't think they they going to make. It. I think Starmer's more likely to make it. I, I, um, again, I just think the Labour Party actually, will. Uh, he would have to do very badly for the Labour Party not to let him have a crack at one general election because that's just the mindset. And. Uh, but Jeremy Corbyn wasn't doing very badly when uh, he was challenged a year after he was elected. I think it was. Yes, but not successfully, you'll note. That's the, the mechanism achieved the outcome you would want. Oh, but, I, I genu- but I genuinely think that this is, in, this is an interesting point. Without changing the electoral system, the um, Jeremy Corbyn did very well by the party membership from 2015 to 2016. In fact, increasing number of people liked him. Um, I'm. This is where Starmer may come unstuck because uh, while he may be chasing after that, you know, that middle Mondeo man or whatever. What is the, the modern Mondeo name. man? Uh, yeah, but what? But what I'm saying is that Starmer in chasing that vanishingly small number of swing voters that act in that particular way is um, possibly making it more difficult to survive uh, an internal election. Now, this I did, this is absolutely hypothetical. Kirstenmer was supported by the Labour right in this election, from by Progress and by Labour First, if they saw a chance to get rid of him and replace him with one of theirs, now I don't know who that would be in a parliamentary sense um, that they would trust enough, but if they thought they had one, they would no doubt do it. But interestingly, I think what they thought might have happened was that the left of the party would waste away Um and you know, lots of people. Lots of people have left, um, empirically, lots, but maybe percentage-wise, not a, a, a huge amount. But lots of people have left from the left. But what's more happening, I think, and we've not had a CLP meeting or anything in the last couple of months to let easily test the water. But those people that are socialists, that are to the left, that were persuaded by Starmer's positioning in the ele- in the leadership election and now watching this sort of wishy-washy performance and the position on Kashmir and the position on renters and things like that are those people are 
drifting away or should be if they're thinking about it and watching and paying attention should be drifting away from him so you get an interesting situation where what the labor right possibly thought was that they could watch the the left leave and then challenge again with a more right-wing candidate but a challenge now would actually have seen Starmer's base not be able to be pulled right but are have drifted back left disappointed with him so you might actually see so if it, they did it you might actually see some sort of three-way split well, da- darling of the left owen jones suggests that um what people should be doing you know from the left of the party is going to causes going to left causes um and issues and making sure that starmer is drawn towards them because they're making those noise and because they whatever the issues are you know are positive staying positive you know taking that sort of positive angle um which strikes me as the right i mean i'm not necessarily of the left of the party but so it certainly does no, not seem not. like a good time for either side to be causing any trouble you know even if it was just normal politics it'd be another matter but right now the world's eyes are elsewhere this is the the one issue that has has caused people on the left to leave um and on the day it leaked i sent you a the the pdf and you read some of it at least which was the the leaked 580 pages i think i got through about 400 before i felt i'd learned enough um the, the the leaked report into the internal workings of the party around about um around discipline and the anti-sensitivism scandal was meant to be a submission to the ehrc um and it's fair to say that the the submission uh, was one thing this was meant to be the part of the submission but the i don't think the report um did anything and i've said this to you before that i didn't think the report highlighted anything that the left of the party didn't either know or suspect i don't and i think those who are surprised by it or saying they're surprised are either naive or disingenuous and they might not have worked out the depth of it and they might not have worked out the openness or the the sort of um pervasiveness through the the paid staff of the organization with uh, which it and essentially just, what you know the the attitudes what you're, attitudes ta- what you're talking happens. about is is what they said about Jezza. uh no no what the what they actively did is uh, so what they said is chitty and in some cases actionable particularly the racist stuff they said but what they did was fraud in uh, moving party money not from where it was told uh, to go by the political um, elected officers, you know, political elected officers, uh, but they moved that money and spent it somewhere else and also essentially sabotaged the aims of the, the Labour Party, which is not fraud, but it is certainly an, uh, an actionable offence within the Labour Party rules. Um, but is that is that not is that not what you took from it? Um, <laughs> I I took from it that it it was just not something that was a good idea to you know. From um, again, I always try and step outside and look how it looks from outside the party, and ultimately it just looks like some people within the party disagree with some other people in the party, and sometimes when they don't agree, they say nasty things to each other. Uh, and anything beyond that, and you know, there were obviously individual issues, but would gets you into the point of, you know, just what would be political insanity. Forget the the politics of it, but if you're going to have an integral, a sort of um, a Labour Party, a, a party that is in any way unified around an aim of um the parliamentary advancement of the the rights and aims of the working person um those that labor the fact that you would have some people within that 
party who were not working for the advancement of the party, particularly people who were paid to do so. Um, it, it, that, all right. that is a fundamental, let, cri- fundamental crisis for the organisation. Perhaps. But let's be fair, there have been people who have been less than constructive when they should have been when they were not in control of the party. You know, it's... No, 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 but we're not talking about political control. We're talking about people who are paid officers. That's their job. I would hope that everybody paid... Everybody who worked in a paid position for the Labour Party, I would hope that they supported the Labour Party. But But one might argue that that support in the longer sense was... You know, achieving a different goal. No, no, you, you can't. Can argue. No, I'm no, not saying it's. No, a, I, I agree with you, right? It's not a good argument there is, there if is you're no, not doing what your job is. There that is, day. No, there is, there is no argument that suggests that the basic aim of the Labour Party, the the, the top aims, we've got clause four, but we talk about those clauses one, two, three. They they don't normally have any argument about them because they say the aim is to get representation in Parliament. And they actively worked against that. Now, if you you could say there's a you could say all's fair in love and war, and you could um, be a political uh, cohort that attempted to sort of do a sort of Trotskyite interest into the Labour Party and change the aims of it. You can say that's fair enough. Um, the party many times has said that's not, but you could say it's fair enough. But what you can't defend is people whose job it is to be officers. The, you know, the they at the very least deserve, if any are in any way still employed by the party, to be disciplined. No, you I don't. I, I, yeah, I don't really disagree with that. I, I think you know you, you're looking at an HR problem. Ultimately, but the fact that they haven't been, the fact that they haven't been, that does not show the current leadership in a good light, does it? I, well, the current leadership—they've not been around long enough, have they? No, no. Well, the current leadership are the only leadership that have been around since the report broke. How long would you expect? I mean, how long did it? How long did I mean, it take it's, it's... <laughs> Corbyn to address certain issues? Well, you may have noticed, if you've read the report, that one of the reasons it took Jeremy Corbyn, or it took the Labour Party, while Jeremy Corbyn was the leader, so long to deal with some issues, was the fact that these particular people were deliberately making it hard. One of the reasons. No. And also because he didn't want to, you know... No, 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 bollocks. (laughs) If you've heard John McDonnell talk about it, John McDonnell was chasing the disciplinary workers through their line management weekly about why isn't why isn't this doing what's happening what's happening what's happening with this and he was stonewalled so it is not the case that the leadership of the labor party was for were slow on this it is clear if you believe, if if no one has contradicted the report and if it's clear from the report that Jeremy Corbyn's office were while not while being accused of interfering with cases and were not interfering cases, they weren't even being told about them. They were very keen to, for example, expel Ken Livingstone, which I disagree with, but they were keen to do it, and they were blocked. I'd, somehow I didn't spot that. It's a long well, report. Well, that would but, be a very. I mean, that would have been a very uh, symbolic moment, wouldn't it? It would have been a really good idea to get that out on the telly. Well, I mean, if you, it's, well, it probably would have been quite bad to fire a seventy-year-old man while he's hiding in a toilet. But the, um, you know what I mean? I mean, I could, I could, you could make a case to not expel Ken Livingstone, but uh, no one on the left was at that time making that. What was stopping him being expelled was the treacle of the. Uh, the Labour right that had held the the positions, and I was this. Uh, the reason I was wanting to bring this up with you Ad, is that the um, I know you you're not involved with it anymore because you're much too old. Um, 
but the the idea is or the 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 implication is that a lot of these uh people came up through labor students oh yeah <laughs> and that is the that is the poisonous organization that causes the problems or has uh, been a conduit is that because the, the, the labor and friends wondering... of israel buy a lot of drinks for labor students but i don't know what i was going to ask you sorry, if, um, sorry go during on. your yeah. time i was going to ask you if during your time in in labor students you were did did you talk about trots were you worried about trots i mean did you have the trots <laughs> um well certainly some mornings you need a bit of a recovery period um you didn't usually have to run um that's the thing about being a student you tend to be in quite small accommodation quite near a facility um trots were discussed certainly um broadly really um yeah that party was aware of its history you know and that's fascinating to me because as we well know the number of trotskyites in the country is in the low hundreds yeah but the trot trot was an insult in labor students in the blair era but, but why I don't, I don't know nobody knows do they people are um people just like these terms don't they i mean it, it made you feel smart didn't it to be calling someone a trot rather than whatever you might insult them for normally don't forget they're getting a good old go um uh people whatever ways but the this obsession with this non-existent sect is phenomenal the idea that they called andy you know if you remember in the text of the report andy burnham was a trot andy burnham was too left for them did you i mean when someone when you call someone a trot if, if you refer to someone as a trot you don't actually think they're a trotskyist do you you're you're just saying they're a bit of a lefty. Well, I don't. I don't know because, to me, words have in meanings. Fairness, in fairness, so, when I'm saying I heard the word "trot" a lot, it was late levelled at us by um, one of the kids from the Tory party. We were all trots from the point of view of Peter Wass. When I when I say the word "trot," I mean people who are Trotskyists. Yeah. Because it's interesting to me to understand people's political viewpoints, but that's the whole point. I think that it didn't seem doesn't seem to be interested. There's a lack of curiosity from the Labour right. I I mean my my sort of looking back on it, broad perception was that there were some people, and maybe this is because I was I was you know in a slightly disconnected way because there definitely weren't many people on my course who were also involved in student politics, but I was doing law. And I was aware of this whole milk run thing, um, you know, where people are sort of planning their future careers. And I had a certain perception that some of Labour students were imagining a future. You know, it was just a logical route to being in government. And that was a thing that was going to happen. Do you know what I mean? It was just no, no different yeah, yeah. from going to do those accountancy things or the, the legal training courses or something like that. What is clear to me, at least, that um, the response to the report has been lacklustre or disinterested. Now, the press aren't interested, whether or not they are deliberately not interested or whether or not they are um, it's, just busy it's, it's bad. or performatively disinterested. It's, it's, right, it's a difficult story and it's... You know, it requires levels of explanation and it's very bad timing for that kind of thing because there are a lot of subtleties of incompetence in the government that are costing actual lives. And this is, you know, obviously you might argue that a successful Labour Party creates more chance of better lives, but that's quite a lot of steps away, isn't it? In this instance, no, in this instance, a successful Labour Party would have stopped a lot of those deaths. Yeah, absolutely. But that's what you're looking at is logical steps away from the government is killing people by being shit, which is, you know, makes for better headlines. And then you can move into lots of good statistical analyses thereof provided by reliable government departments. Like, hey, look, it turns out we're shit at this and that and the other and we're in a recession. Like um, the thousands of tests of, for coronavirus carried out by Deloitte 
Um, our time seems to have disappeared. It does that, doesn't it? Uh, um, so it's been it's been really good to, to talk to you. Uh, stay locked down. Say say safe. Stay fucking alert. Mate. <laughs> um, don't sleep. Do not sleep. Uh, and never, remember, it's, it's visible it's like to the, you now somehow. It was invisible before, but now you cor- can see it. So stay alert for it. Is it is it coronavirus or is it Freddy Krueger that we're worried about? Um, stay alert, stay safe, keep them peeled. Don't have nightmares. Uh, this has been never that give up. Never no longer exists. The uh, this been that option no longer exists. Um, you can if you want uh, follow us on Twitter at that option pod. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can email us hello at theoption.co.uk. Where you, if you go to theoption.co.uk, you also find old episodes which are even more out of date than this one. Um, but we've uh, had a lot of fun. Um, and don't forget, this is as good quality as media gets. Right, that's now. true. I've got the tech just as good as the you know those those people at home. But I didn't hide under a blanket. Does it? I've seen the I've seen the map. Uh, Lucas Channel 4 programme we might even be better <laughs> <laughs>